3: My next guest is hip hop culture. He founded Fat Beats in 1994, and I'm honored to speak to him. He's Joseph, aka DJ Jab, and I want to welcome him to the library with Timonico. Thanks so much for joining me.
4: Yeah, thanks for having me. Cool.
3: So, I want to start like with um, from the way beginning with um, Fat Beats, the store. There's a YouTube video out there that's labeled "Fat Beats Grand Opening." AL Freestyle DJ Eclipse Q Destroy, and Tino XL One. Is this YouTube video the actual opening of the
4: store? No. Uh, no, no, that's actually the relocation of the original store. Oh, okay, Good. that was in 1996 when we moved into the new location, and um, by that time we were very popular, so that's how these video clips got created.
3: Uh, the the with the with the original store, um, the original location, uh, with having artists on, with having uh, DJs, how did the artists and how did those DJs and those performances kind of represent your mission going into
1: Fat Beats?
4: Well, we started in 94 and it was just really to kind of um, combat, you know, the lack of vinyl, hip hop vinyl Mm -hmm. in New York City. It was really hard to buy um, hip hop records in 92, 93 was so house dominated. So being, you know, someone that came from the hip-hop and turntable as background I was looking to start a business or I was right out of college so that's how um, kind of the store came about it was just really a you know a lack of record stores at the time.
3: You eventually became one of the I think one of the best vinyl distributors uh, in the world and you connected many indie artists with uh, to mom and pop record stores around the globe. Uh, Can you kind of talk about the impact you see that Fat Beats had uh, not, not just the store, but uh, not just the stores, but also on distribution in general.
4: Well, just, you know, being a DJ myself and, and very into the music, you know, just as much as I was into the business, I think really helped. And in hiring sort of like minds of people that understood the style of music that we were we were selling, I think, you know, we, we, we kind of became like a gateway for good music um, and um you know, it got to the point where it's like you wanted to have your records in the store and then eventually distributed because of the, the labels and artists we were working with. And we were basically just taking um, labels and artists that the industry was rejecting. Mm. Because at, in back at the, in those days, in the early 90s, they wanted every record to be really big, you know, over 300,000 sales gold records where there was a lot of artists that sold, you know, slightly less than that, that were very good they weren't getting picked up. So sort of the independent music movement started in the early nineties. And then we just happened to be right in the middle smack in New York when, um, the music really started taking off. And that's how, yeah, that's how people just kept, kept coming because the store was very, uh, curated towards, you know, people who like good music. So I made sure that, um, we, we represented a couple different genres. It wasn't just hip hop, but we also had the best of it. And, um, I really wasn't taking chances, uh, if you want to say. Like I knew the stuff was going to sell.
3: Uh, you, you mentioned your staff, and uh, I think the thing about the staff, and for not just the store, but for the label and distribution warehouse, uh, many of them have went from you know being behind the register to kind of putting out their own music uh, and touring. And one, one staff member that I think was uh, seemed very crucial in all this was uh, kind of D, was that DJ Eclipse. Uh can you talk about his importance uh for you in the store and how helpful he was um for Fat Beats?
4: Yeah, yeah, it was um it was uh in 1995 when um uh, when I first opened up the industry was uh pretty strong New York City there was a lot of uh representation from major labels and independent labels they all had offices so I used to go around to all the labels and promote the store and try to get um the new releases and get some promos and just trying to create awareness and eclipse worked at wild pitch and um he was he just happened to be working with uh with mc search and oc oc had just come out so he was he you know he came down to the store a couple times promoting the oc project also they had large professor and a couple of uh, compilations they had and it was really good uh we, uh, started, business started picking up and I recognized Eclipse, you know, was kind of a connoisseur of music, especially the type we were selling. He was very, uh, very educated, you know, knew, knew it inside out. He was a DJ, you know, he even did some B-boying. So when the store started picking up, I needed someone on the weekends just to help out. So, um, he seemed like a perfect, perfect fit, very reliable person. So, I uh, asked him to start working on the weekends and he did. And then when Wild Pitch folded, uh, the company Fat Beats was doing really well at the time, so we were able to take him on full time, and uh, and that's how the relationship started. And you know, he was a DJ. He came uh, came from the south and, and lived in New York, but his, his, his knowledge of, of the music was just you know it was just superior. Like he just knew about everything when it came to hip hop 12 inches and going all the way back to the albums, everything.
3: I, so I was 94. I was 15 years old at the time. Uh, I grew up in Washington Heights. Uh, so going to Fat Beats, it was always next. For me, it was just a great experience because you never knew who was going to be there, you know, who to yeah. be battling. And at this time, you know, we had, let's say, The Wiz, you know, Nobody Beats The Wiz and HMV, you know, all these rec- huge record labels. And uh, I'm trying to get to the point where... Uh, point of this question is that dj evil d uh, talks about how important fat beats was to his career and he gives fat beats this credit for it um can you kind of give the listener an understanding of what well, what was the, the 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 record store scene like at this time and then when did you realize the impact that fat Beats w- was having on people's career
4: well you know in the, in in the 90s you know, there was only a couple of major distributors that controlled everything. And Sony was Sony was one of them. And Sony also um, was a big manufacturer of equipment, CDs, turntables, and things like that. Um, when I first started, I was going around to the industry saying, I'm opening up a record store, and all the people in the labels were like, well, you know, no one's going to be buying vinyl soon. So, you know, and they were giving me all this vinyl, thinking that it's just going to be obsolete. Um, you know, as Sony cut out vinyl, like the vinyl first started getting cut off from major distributors. You know, and it was to push CD, CD players, mm-hmm. you know, CD sales, but also the players, CD players. So Sony made CD players. At the same time, they're cutting out all their vinyl and pushing CDs. And now CDs cost, you know, a fraction to make, um, a vinyl. And in those days, CDs were like, what, 1899, 1999. You know, they were making like a killing in profit. Um, so, when we came around, we were like vinyl, vinyl, vinyl. So when people started seeing that, you know, record stores, major stores are not carrying vinyl anymore, They, you know, they still wanted it. They weren't accustomed to CDs yet. And if anyone was in New York in the early, in the mid nineties, there was a big retro movement. I mean, bell bottoms came back, the whole late seventies style came back into style and people were buying vinyl. It wasn't just, you know, uh, DJs or people into hip hop. Just regular folks were like, vinyl's getting cut out, now I want it. Mm-hmm. So when I opened up, they were like, vinyl, you know? So, so many people came. It wasn't just the hip hop community. Like, if you ever went in Fat Beach, you would see all kinds of different crowds. Kind of like New York. You would take all of New York and all the different demographics. Every single person, type of person came down, you know, to see what it was. And I think that we were, you know, pushing something that the major labels were sort of gearing away from.
1: Mm.
4: And then, you know, a divide started happening. You started seeing like, you know, at what you know, when Fat Beats opened up from '94 '96, hip hop was one music,
1: right.
4: you know. And then you started seeing sort of changing where, like, you had like very pop commercial sound of people rapping to, and they're saying, Oh, this is hip hop." Then you had, you know, the other side of it where you had like the hard producers and djs and mcs just still you know trying to create the you know the best beats with the best loops and samples with the most complicated intricate rhymes so you had these two sort of music starting to develop in you know 96 and in 97 moving forward so now now you look at hip-hop now and go ask a kid what hip-hop is if you ask 10 kids they give it they give you all you know all of them will give you 10 different answers
1: right
4: you know but we were pushing that sort of you know, I want to say hip-hop from the beginning, and um, that crowd, you know, kept coming, and then, you know, fans kept coming, and it just kept building. So you do have a couple of different, uh, you know, consumers now when you buy, when you when you um, look at hip-hop music, and we happen to have a good foundation of people that just like good music. doesn't matter with the artist or whatever. It's just good music that we sell through. And that's why new artists work with us.
3: How, how how do how do you make that decision? I mean, from from a, a completely business perspective of it, like uh, like you just mentioned, there's different different waves of hip hop that are coming through, right? Um, yeah. How do you decide? Like, how do you how do you decide uh, not? I guess maybe you don't, but you know, not take that commercial record because it's you know because if you take the commercial record, you're going to get you know guaranteed sales, right? But how do how do you weigh that balance of like you know? selling versus i guess i don't i don't maybe authentic hip hop or uh, or not or not as selling a much selling hip hop
4: yeah i mean authentic is a good name <laughs> we can't sell that stuff you 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 if you take the top 10 billboard you know rap records we can't sell it like our you know the stores that we distribute to won't buy it and the customers that come to fat beats won't buy it either mm-hmm. like maybe a few um so it just it just you know it just doesn't work with us. So it you know became where it's sort of I would call that like pop, you know pop music. Right. But we we don't have success with that. Like um, you know when, when Eminem first came out, he he had an EP that we picked up and we sold it and we sold his records since. And then we sold Kanye West and stuff. But like a lot of this new stuff, I we we wouldn't be able to sell it. Mm-hmm. it just people won't just buy it, from, you know, because. They know if they go to Fabius.com or go to the store, you know they're expecting, you know, people, uh, you know, uh, the, the trees of like Pete Rock and DJ Premier and, you know, like you mentioned, Evil B, the Beatminers, you know, Black Moon and Redman, you know, people that come from them those stems. That's the kind of style of music they're they're expecting for us to to sell and uh, and distribute. So all this kind of new stuff that's very electronic and slow and not very lyrical because that shot by fat beats won't you know we would we would sort of hurt ourselves if we carried that
3: mm. uh we're talking about releases and and obviously you and you just mentioned a bunch of releases that you guys have had uh during your time in New York with the new York fat beats can you kind of is there are there any kind of releases that do you, you think have had for you have had the most or have, have had such a great impact in hip hop or have just stood out to you in terms of like maybe just slept on releases, but for you are just incredible releases.
4: No, we had like, like missing links. Um, we, we did a 12 inch with missing links. Um, that, that took off and had a sample that Dr. Dre sampled with Snoop eventually. And it was interesting because the producers that used to produce for dirt train, them used to shop at fat beats. So there was, you know, certain songs that, um, really took off. Um, digging in the crates was, a, a label, that we worked with that we still work with but we worked with in the mid nineties and um you know they put out day one which was a posse song. It was like the first time they you know they all rhymed together. That mm. was a huge impact. And then the labels we worked with had like amazing records like Raucus. Ruckus came around we were distributing records that featured Most Def and Talib Bali but then they signed them and Raucus put out um universal magnetic nice. which was produced by sean j period and uh and Mo- most depth single and that thing just really really took off and it was you know you could sort of see the difference you're like oh th- you know here's the kind of music that fat beats out and here's the commercial stuff that's being played on the radio and you know for every 10 people that just buy whatever's marketed to them you have that one person that's like listen looking and listening for music and that's person
3: that we catered to did, did that uh, did that ever help or, did, did, or does that does that not help you or if you're selling eminem before he was eminem right yeah now you have today's eminem or commercial eminem does that not help fat beats to be like hey this we we knew this guy was something before you knew he was something
4: um it, it, i guess it depends on you know where they go like um if anyone heard that first EP that Eminem did, none of those songs were on his album.
1: Right?
4: You know, it's just different. So, I mean, we did sell the album, and we still sell his album, and we still do carry commercial products. It's just not not as much, and and you know, it's hard, basically, to to to, to, to see what you know what the kids are going to buy. You know, they have to kind of request it. But it 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 no it helps. I mean, especially when the artists mentioned like, yeah, you know, when I started out, I you know, I went to Fat Beats and that. That really helps out because it, it puts on you know puts us uh, in touch with other artists and other people. Because right. um you know once they start getting signed by labels and distributors and you know they they just sometimes they forget they forget about the record store.
1: Right.
4: And especially this day and age, where everything so digital, <laughs> where like you know, there's still a lot of people that buy physical music. Take, you,
3: know? um, you talked about Kanye West earlier and there's a video of him in the news story on 1996 uh, spitting at Fat Beats Yeah. Um, but when were you there for that and what were your first impressions of him at that time and did you kind of imagine that he would become the Kanye he is today or no, as uh, well known as he is today
4: Yeah, at the time I had, no, I had no idea who he was I knew that the people that were rhyming he was rhyming near Al-Tariq uh Percy P, um I forget who else was there. Uh Breeze from the Juggernaut, like Lord Finesse. These were all lyricists. Right. So like anyone that was rhyming it was like you had to really be on point. So I uh, I didn't you know actually I didn't know he, he was you know he rhymed until Eclipse released that video you know years later, mm-hmm. like long time later. And no, actually none of us knew he was, I forgot who it was. I think Eclipse was just looking through the videos and just happened to see, Oh snap, look at that Kanye West. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, we didn't know. And, you know, in those days, like Chino XL was a big freestyler. I mean, I remember him coming up, he came in in a limousine and he came up there and just killed it. Wow. You know, LP from company flow. If you look at, uh, you know, Talib Kweli and Gene Grey, like, so it was all these bubbling artists that were just known for lyrics and, you know, just being uh putting out good music so had no idea who he was and um didn't uh, uh pay any mind until afterwards but we uh but his music was great i mean we liked his you know first couple albums we sold them and everything and um you know hopefully uh you know the next kanye comes through too when was, with 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 the new star opening up
3: um i want to ask you about uh, the DJ in a second, but I first want to ask you I remember uh, both locations in New York walking up your stairs, and those stairs were steep. Uh, did anyone ever fall?
4: <laughs> uh, not. There's people that's, you know, slid down a little bit here and there and <laughs> caught themselves. Um, not so, uh, uh, you know, most, you know, all sober people have been straight, but there's been some unsober people that's, you know, take, took a trip down the stairs. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Um, so back back to the, the DJ. Uh, obviously, you know Fat Beats. you don't know to walk into the store and uh, MCs would be battling. I remember seeing MERS battle uh, and doing uh, Secret Wars Part One uh, yeah. live, which kind of blew me away because I only heard him, you know, through tape or you know MP3 at the time. Uh, but you you also had DJs like DJ Neil Armstrong, Rob Swift, um, just to name a few, through a few. And yourself, you're a DJ as well. Um, yeah. What what do you think uh, was the first kind of performance at the store by a DJ that kind of completely blew you away? But then also, what's the importance of the DJ
4: to the culture for you? Um, well, you know, the, the the foundation of hip-hop music was with the DJ. Right. You know, so when, when it started out, you had, you know, the DJs cutting up the breaks, you know, the, the, the breakers break in, and the MCs, you know, getting the crowd going, and then they started rapping, so... That was always, to me, like the foundation. And growing up, you know, in the Bronx and then moving to Connecticut, you know, whenever you said, you know, a jam or hip-hop jam or wherever, there was a a DJ. So I always felt like, well, if you get rid of that, then what happens? You know, and you you can't get rid of it. It's like like with rock music. You you know, you can't get rid of the guitar and the drums and the bass. Mm -hmm. They tried for a while in the 80s. Everything went synth, but it went right back to that. So I felt with hip-hop, I was like, you know, all these guys can play with their their CDs and their digital stuff and, 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 and try to get rid of the turntable, but if they do that, first of all, they can't do that because that's the foundation of this culture, and the culture is too strong to go away. So I always um, had confidence in vinyl and DJs, and um, we never stopped selling vinyl from 94 until now. Even when the scene crashed and all the stores closed closed down, we always sold vinyl. Like when Fat Beats retail closed, we just s- distributed more. Mm-hmm. We went from, you know, retail, people shopping at retail to people shopping all around the world and us uh, selling like more, distributing more products around the world. The stores were in major cities where expenses were too high. In like New York City, for instance, unless you're selling like, diamonds or robbing everyone with huge profits you can't afford to to pay the rent and taxes Hmm. it just the uh the the, you know the rent per square foot doesn't make sense to a small mom and pops so that's why the fat the fat beef stores you know that's one of the reasons why they closed because overhead was just way too high um but to me the the dj and the vinyl is the foundation sort of the whole culture and it started that way and i think it'll always be around and it shows now i mean vinyl has has gone back up and um dj's are you know somewhat relevant again
3: the timing of your store, but also the timing of uh, Battle Break Records, Uh, they seem to coincide. And I think you guys were on the forefront of kind of purchasing those. Um, Yeah. How, can you talk about how kind of these kind of records um, impact impact turntablism and kind of, I guess, made DJing or turntablism kind of brought it to a new level?
4: Yeah, well, I mean, they were great tools for DJs because now you don't have to flip through all these different records. So they, you know, the DJs, like Lock Raider, Left in Peace, and the Scratch Pickles, you know, just took their favorite break records that they would always cut up, which were very common for most DJs, you know, the cut up, because that's the one thing DJs had in common, was you would find breaks to cut to, like like Peter Piper, for instance, from Run DMC. Mm-hmm. That was just a rec- a common record that people cut up to. That was all around the world, just like uh, Rock the Bell Mellow LL Foo Jay. And, um, you know, and, and various other ones. But when the battle, when, you know, when the battle records started coming around, when the DJs started making the battle tools, it just made it uh, more interesting because they were adding hits and sounds and stuff that you would try to incorporate into your routine, but it's hard, especially when you're in a, in a, in a competition because you're usually timed. Mm-hmm. Nice. So those things were great because now as a DJ, that want to practice, you can put on two battle records and just practice that the whole time. Because there were so many different records and sounds and hits, so you know you can. It's like, you know, it's like advanced training, you know. <laughs> so it, I think it was, I thought it was a great thing. You know, got you know the market got oversaturated, but that's you know the American way. So, uh,
3: you know, unfortunately, the the your uh, Fat Beach, the store had to close. Um, what were what were for those who don't know? What were the main factors that kind of caused the store to close?
4: it it was um just a combination i would say just uh advancement management and advancement we uh you know i was going through a lot of personal changes so i didn't really want to put any time into the retail stores and the the staff and stuff were kind of burned out already and i didn't advance the stores as time advanced mm-hmm. and like i said it was just you know i was in new york and la uh, amsterdam it was just hard um you know keeping the overhead because um it's just you know they're very expensive cities and vinyl profits aren't like clothing you know very very small and um i also noticed uh you know the distribution company in the website which was doing a lot better taking off so closing the stores gave me more time to focus on what's making more money for the company you know right now we're reopening In downtown LA on September 22nd but out that store has been open uh, we've been working out of there for the last nine months working the website so if we did that back in the day where the store also was the website you know it probably wouldn't have closed it probably would have stayed open but we sort of needed to go through this transition just to let the let the scene kind of uh, let all the dust blow over and see who's left over and um, you know right now opening the store I think it's a great thing like I said, we never stopped distributing it. We sold we still sold to a ton of stores all around the world, even after the Fat Beat stores closed. So you were still able to get the product.
3: Uh before we talk about the LA store, uh what do you think uh or where do you think uh hip hop independent hip hop in New York would be if Fat
4: Beats never came along? The store. Uh I think someone else would you know, there would have been another store or some you know, it just there was too many people that were into you know just hip hop for it to kind of go away. They they had to go somewhere. So when I opened up, it was it was a gathering place, you know, and not just New York, you know, worldwide. People would be able to, be able to come and gather somewhere, you know, in a safe environment. I, I think someone else. I think there would have been another place because there was just too many people. Maybe they would have been hanging out at a park or something like I used to hang at Astor Place or Thompson Square Park or um or a uh, uh, park on West Fourth. In the, on the west side, but they were to gather somewhere and and, and 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 you know sort of uh, kept the scene going.
3: Do you know of any? I, I, so I, I envision—I've always kind of envisioned batbeat's Store as like the equivalent of a s of the of when people actually or artists actually went to studios and went to the same studios. Uh, yeah, and you know, and you hear stories about. Um, two different groups are, you know, recording at the same time, and they run into each other in the hallway, and they create, you know, something comes out of that, right? Yeah. Um, and then I kind of equate that to how Fat Beats uh, is. It, off, off the top, do you know of any, or do you remember any kind of collaborations that might have never happened if they didn't meet at Fat Beats? Uh,
4: I know. Like I, I know it was a meeting ground, and I know a lot of labels that were interested in artists would meet them there. Hmm. Um, I don't know if I don't know what wouldn't have happened if they didn't meet, but um it definitely was a, a place to, to you know to go and to hook up with because it was um you know well known. So when um like Aspidel, when they wanted to sign the scratch pickles, the scratch pickles were in town, they met them at Bat. They were like, you know, let let's, let's talk here, or whatever, from there go somewhere else. But yeah, you'd have to ask, I guess, artists and labels, you know, who, because you don't know, you know, you just see a bunch of people start talking to each other and kicking it, you don't know, if they're doing business or talking about records.
3: You're, you know, you're, like you mentioned, you're about to open a new store, uh, in LA, um, overall, what's the, I feel like that's, a, I mean, it seems like in this age, A&H, that is a big risk to take, uh, cause you don't know if people are just going to continue to buy online or just download M stream or MP3s. Um. But what for you? What's the importance of the record store, not just the hip hop culture, but to me, the culture of music?
4: Um, because like with, with digital downloads, you're 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 just sort of downloading the right to listen to something. So I think the the record store for all music genres is important that people actually own, you know, music. Mm-hmm. So when you buy a record from Fat Beats, you own that artist's music. You know, you you bought it, you own it on the vinyl version, and it's yours. Whereas, you know, a digital download, if you ever read, you know, there's a clause on that. You just, you have the rights to listen to it through your devices and stuff. So, yeah, I just think it's, uh, you know, artists having people, you know, own their product.
3: So, you know, you mentioned this, the new store opening uh, September 22nd. Yeah. Um, can you And you talked a little bit about it, but can you uh, discuss further about, it? like, what's the grand opening, I guess the grand opening, what, what it will be like, will it be kind of the same scene that the New York Fat Beats had with artists, Have we, you know, artists to collaborate, uh, will there be any artists joining you for that opening or DJs?
4: Yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a list of DJs performing, you can see that on the website and on, the, on social media. Uh, I, I anticipate a couple of artists probably wanting to get on and, and you know, spit a freestyle. The store is going to look different than the original Fat Beats. It's going to look like a 2018 uh, record store, still full of vinyl, full mm-hmm. of product, but it's just going to have a different look. And um, you know, this is really one of uh, one of my staff members. You know, it was kind of his, his 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 dream to you know to run a Fat Beat store, so he really wanted to do it, and he was capable. So that's sort of how the store came back around. But I think it's going to be a, it's going to be a good day. Um, we you know we know, we do know the climate of vinyl sales, so we're not anticipating it's going to be like um, when the original stores were open when we sold like you know ridiculous amount of records. But I think we're going to have some good stuff. And you know, being that we distribute a lot of product, we get a lot of exclusive records. You know, we're doing a lot of um, reissues with major labels and stuff. So with the store, you'll be able to get a lot of stuff first before it, you know goes out to the world. But one of the advantages going.
3: DJ Jab, he's the founder of Fat Beats. uh, New store is opening in LA, September twenty second. DJ Jab, thank you so much for joining me today in the Library of Tomato. All
4: right, thanks for having me.